Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're going to read until about eight o'clock. And shall we just go in alphabetical order then? It'll be, uh, were we at the yellow? Alaya Vigiana. So that's you, Cody. You're up. Okay. Uh, Alaya Vigiana, whatever, uh, that word there. Uh, we produce seeds of karmic energy by our daily living. If so, then where are they stored? That is the deepest level of human consciousness, which is called. Trouty, can you help uh, how to say this? Uh, yes. Alaya Vigiana. Yes, Alaya Vigiana. Alaya Vigiana. Yes. Okay, which is called Alaya Vigiana, or the storehouse consciousness. Yoga Charter Psychology explains that there are eight human consciousness. The first five are the ear, the eye, ear, nose, tongue, and skin consciousness, which recognize sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. The sixth one is mind consciousness, which recognizes concepts or ideas. The last two consciousness are considered unconscious. Those are Manas, consciousness of individual self, and alaya, the most basic level of human consciousness. Alaya Vijnana is understood as the original source of human life. It is because of alaya Vijnana that human consciousness has the potential energy to carry itself on and create phenomenal existence. But if we speculate about an original source of life in an intellectual sense, we may think it must be an absolute from which everything originates. Then that source becomes a concept of something which is separate from human life and is called the root of the existence. But Alaya Vijnana is not a concept Alaya Vijnana is the real root of human existence because it accepts karmic energy from samskara and uses it to create the seven other human consciousnesses. Then the phenomenal world appears and activity there produces new potential energy. This is how human consciousness constantly nurtures itself and creates the human world. Human consciousness has its own potential energy to constantly carry on to the future. But what it carries on is not a particular form. The human mind doesn't have its own particular form. It is a state of being that appears only when you do something. That temporary state of being is based on interdependence with all sentient beings. So it is constantly moving and changing. That's why any psychological explanation is very complicated. 
if you see the movement and change, if you see the movement and change in terms of phenomena, Trying to understand this. If you see that movement and change in terms of phenomenal existence, can anyone help me with this? I'm not emphasizing the right words. It is provisionally called consciousness. Oh, movement. I don't understand. But human consciousness itself is nothing but the functioning of impermanence and interdependent co-origination. It is just transit, trans, it's not transitory, transiency and interconnection, movement and change itself. You cannot pin it down <coughs> as something fixed. So philosophically speaking, we say it is empty. This is the human mind according to Buddhist psychology. Um, I want, I, if I don't, if you don't mind, I, I'm interested that, uh, or I think they were talking about something that is moving and constantly changing and they call it emptiness. And, uh, I'm not sure I would call it emptiness. That's, that's interesting. Well, um, I would call it dynamism. I don't know if I would call it emptiness, but okay. Um, the the idea of of it not of empty or emptiness is that it's, it has no fixed inherent quality. Right. Yeah. And and that so it's not empty and nothing's there. It's empty in terms of it's always changing. Yeah. Would you agree, Trouty? Well, yes, the emptiness is the negation of anything substantial mm. in this discourse. So, is it Milen next? Uh, would you mind if, if we reread the last paragraph? Sure. Mm -hmm. Should would you I like to read it, Milen? Okay. Okay, yes. If you see the movement and change in terms of phenomenal existence, it is provisionally called consciousness. But human consciousness itself is nothing but the function of impermanence and interdependent, interdependent co-origination. It is just... How do you say that? Transiency. Thank you. It is just transiency and interconnection, movement and change itself. You cannot pin it down as something fixed. So philosophically speaking, we say it is empty. This is the human mind according to Buddhist psychology. Consciousness exists only within your living activity. So if you want to understand your human consciousness, you have to do something. That is Zen practice. You practice letting your body and mind go deeper and deeper, back down the 12 links in the chain of causation, just passing them by one by one until finally, at the bottom of the third link, you reach Alaya Vijnana and directly experience 
the flowing energy of universal life, the constant movement of life itself, then you can understand what human consciousness really is. Really, Alaya consciousness enables you to go deeper and observe. I have to move something here. <laughs> Sorry, I'll start again. Reaching Alaya consciousness enables you to go deeper and observe real reality, which is called Tathagata Garbha. At that time, you transcend your concept of human mind and experience freedom from your human mind. To reach this stage, we have to understand what's going on. That is why we study Buddhist psychology, philosophy, and psychology. And let me translate the Tathagata Garbha. Uh, it is like, um, like a womb of Tathagata. Tathagata is the Buddha the one who has gone in this way. That is the translation did, of the Did you say the word room, R-O-O-M? Room. Okay. W-O-M-B? Yes. Oh, okay. That's how I heard it the first time, room. Okay, good. Um, and also, uh, this sounds, this idea of real reality sounds like the truth that we were reading before. Hmm. Well, um, with the capital T, yes. <coughs> well, may maybe you are pointing to something that may help us understand the truth uh, mm -hmm. in uh, in the uh, in the passage uh, before. It was a short paragraph. Um, if if you are not continuing, Kim, do you want to say something more? No. Okay, I was, I was thinking about the paragraph and uh, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, the, the word truth, especially with the capital, I, I, can, I could not recall a single time that I would be reading. And of course, that was a long time when I was studying all kinds of these texts. <clears throat> but that it would be, that we would translate it the, the original, reading the original, they would translate it as, as truth. That's so interesting. I, yeah. I, I think uh, I reread also the preface uh, from uh, Miss Martin that uh, uh, she explained lots of things, but she also said if you don't, if you, if you understand things, that is very good, but if you don't understand, it is okay. <laughs> Well, um, you know, I thought it, you were going to say it is better. Oh, well, not knowing, right? Yeah. Not knowing is the intimate, but yeah. No, I, I was just thinking um, it may have been a translator or maybe even the, the editor that uh, could not really find a a word that would fit the context, I do not know, but I just don't think that it was befitting. And I think we all were a little bit puzzled over it. Mm -hmm. So I would, say, I would say that actually it was a 
misguided uh, translation. And you know that 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 happens. I mean, mm -hmm. I am not sure whether Katagiri would have used that. And if, this is English is not his native tongue either. Well, yeah, but you know this this has been really edited. These were his talks and maybe some discussions. So um, it has been edited. Now I cannot tell for sure whether this was an edited paragraph, but I say definitely it's uh, really not befitting. What, and, what and if they're just going from a recording, they wouldn't even know whether it was capital T or lowercase t. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And I do not know whether actually Katagiri would distinguish that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the truth like in, in West may sound like something that it, this is really something very important to be aware of. Mm. Um, you cannot pin it down. You cannot really describe it uh, very well because then you may use uh, nouns, substantives that will indicate that it has some substance, right? We are talking uh, often about that if we are uh, trying to express something and we want to be quite um, accurate instead of using a, a noun to make it into a participle with an ing at the end, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, am I the only one that, that read that the paragraphs last week about truth that didn't find it um, disconcerting, that it felt very much just like another name for life as it is, suchness in the present moment. That's what truth, that's what it felt like to me. Well, Stephanie, I think that that is a very good take on it. You didn't miss a beat in that, that you, you could uh, figure out what maybe meant or for you that you felt strongly that this, this is what it means. And yeah, I, I have no dispute about that. I think sometimes for me, I don't know about everybody else, but for me, what has been hard about um, studying Buddhism is a lot of the, um, the uh, concern that would arise in me about getting it exactly right, you know, understanding it exactly right, what the word meant. And when I let go of that, um, need to know exactly what it meant. It felt so much easier, so much more spacious. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Yes. Stephanie. yes, yes, yes. I, I totally agree. And uh, you weren't the only one. I kind of was equating truth with reality uh, last week. And, but what I really love is what Trouty brought forward putting the ing instead of making something set in stone as an object it's 
truthing, realitying. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I love I love the ing of it. Yeah, it's it's like it's being. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Trouty. Hello, thank you, Stephanie. So it's back on me. <clears throat> Consciousness of self. Consciousness of your individual self is understood in Yogacara psychology as manas. In terms of the eight human consciousnesses, manas is the seventh one, ego consciousness. Manas itself doesn't create ego, but within manas, there's a function called sakya drishti, which is the congenital or inborn concept of I. Before you are born, the moment you are in your mother's womb, you already have dysfunction or faculty. It is the very basic state of ego consciousness, the source of human selfishness, which is present in the depths of your unconscious. Ego consciousness is very strong, very deep. It is your great energy to live. You experience this energy in your everyday life. If you feel happy, that is energy to live. If you feel struggle, if you struggle and cry, that is also energy to live. Under all circumstances, you make an effort to live. That is manas consciousness. Pass. Manas is not the usual idea of self. The usual idea of self comes from the six sense consciousnesses, which fabricate a dichotomy between self and others so that we can say you and I or yours and mine. We trust in that self because we perceive it as something permanent. But actually, dualistic self is constantly changing. For instance, you are right, I am wrong, is a dichotomy. In the next moment, conditions may change. Then maybe you are wrong, I am right. Your six sense consciousnesses are always fabricating a new idea of self according to your circumstances. The more you try to understand your dualistic self, the more you feel confused and dissatisfied because there's nothing to pin down. Your ego consciousness is quite different from your tangible self because it is not dualistic. (coughs) Manas never change. It is always the same because it perceives only the I. Ego always wants to get something it can use to build up your human life, materialistically, psychologically, or spiritually. So it is a source of greed, anger, and self-delusion. This is the function of manas. Uh, hold on. Before manas, manas starts to work, the basic energy that supports your life is already there. So when you move toward the depth of your life, you can see the top of the of that flowing energy 
there is a self, there the self operates in an extremely subtle way. Desire and purity are moving together. Manas picked up something from Alaja Bijnana, <laughs> grasps it and holds onto it. Then you think, I got it. You want to know what is what it is so the so the discriminating mind of your sixth consciousness appears <laughs> sorry when you are thinking like that you have seen only the surface of alaya the goal of buddhist practice is not to get something from alaya vijnana it is to become one with alaya itself so don't stop there Keep going deeper through and through until you touch something deep about you. Going deeper, you realize that the human world of subtle movement is at the same time the spiritual world of stillness. That is realization of the unified Dharma world. At that end of your life, if you feel something about manas as your inborn self-consciousness, even if you only understand it intellectually, then through study and spiritual practice, you can start to go deep. At the top of manas, you are still in the world of concepts. But if you go very deep, you touch the bottom of manas and come to the dead end of your life. That dead end is the abyss of human life, darkness because there is no space for you to do something good by your effort. But at the bottom of Manas, you can see something vast and eternal, Alaya Vijnana, the energy of your life. Between the dead end of your life and eternity, there is something like a very soft, thin curtain if you practice, you can touch this curtain. If you touch it, it moves. This side of the curtain is the transient human world. The other side is the eternal world. Actually, there is no curtain. But I have to say, there is a curtain to explain that there is a way you can transmute your life into something vast. A curtain is kind of a very thin crack between transiency and eternity. There is no room for you to poke your big head into that crack, but on the foundation of no space to poke your head into the truth, you have to seek for it. To seek for it, you have to give up. Let go of your dualistic thinking, because when you touch eternity, there is nothing for your mind to hold on to. It's really, I don't know. You don't know. I'm just say, I'm just thinking. Well, here truth is a small t, but uh, we're somewhere we were talking yesterday about this idea of explaining things by um, describing what they're not, and what truth is is not delusion. Mm -hmm. So um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. That is interesting. 
because since early times, maybe before Buddhism, when the different philosophers would come together and debate, when they were asked, what is their idea about liberation or anything, uh, they will say, not this, not that. They will not say it is this. Yeah, I think you've talked to me about that, Drani. I think you could almost say, well, it's neti neti, right? That's yes, that's exactly. Yes, yes. Right. You know, and um, which is very interesting way to to kind of get to the truth. But I'm coming to believe that you can't even say not delusion, <laughs> you know, with 100% certainty if it's all one thing, you know what I mean? But I think mm -hmm. the neti neti is really helpful at first, you know. What it, what's li literally does that mean, neti neti? It's na plus iti and means not. And iti is like quotation mark. Because it, this was all oral, so you would not write quotation marks, right? I see. And Gail, I have to say, I agree with what you said, because I think that sometimes, a lot of times, we are living in delusion. And in that moment, that is life as it is, the delusion. Right. There's and our, our moment of, of, of confidence is a problem, isn't it? There's nowhere to stand. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> That's one of the main themes, you know, you keep getting, um, which is really, really hard for my mind wants to land somewhere and say, oh, I get it. You know, not this, not that, not this, not that. Okay, space, spaciousness, emptiness, you know, but it's, it also includes all those other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I have a question. Do you think that um, going through this curtain that the author said is possible in a conventional mundane life? Oh, or? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I see it happen a lot in uh, when you're like a, in the story of an addict who reaches the bottom and suddenly they find that life opens up for them sometimes. Or someone who goes to jail for a very, very long time, they can, they can only sink so far down and then at some point they realize there is something spacious that is open to them that they're able to access mm -hmm. in that moment of darkness. Anyone I think is in that, can find that, um, that bottom several times in your life, I think. That's so they, they compared, um, I don't know, studied the difference between winning the lottery and becoming a, a, a paraplegic and how these people were one year later. And the paraplegic turned out to be happier generally than the person who had won the lottery, which I think goes along with what you're saying, Emily that um, 
when you're at the bottom like that, you can't move or you can't control your whatever you can't do as a paraplegic. You have to come to a certain, it's kind of reaching the bottom and you have to come to a certain realization of where you are. I think it just becomes really easy to see what the opposite of it is, I think, perhaps. I don't know. The opposite of? Where you're at. It's almost like you're down, so then, oh, what's up there? Uh, I think. It's like a doorway, isn't it, Emily? I think that's what you're saying. Um, you know, when you feel like you're up against some sort of a wall and can't go any further, it's... Turn yeah. around and you find then, the doorway. <laughs> well, you, you surrender to that. You just, that's what's happening. So you just go, okay, there it is. And sometimes there's some freedom to be found in that surrender. Um, but you can't make it happen. <laughs> no. I mean, I've had a whole um, many, many years of uh, having experiences and then trying to recreate them and make them happen. You know, how do I get to that point of not being able to go any further and just giving up and that thing opened for me and then I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. But uh, my question is in, in relation to the practice because for what I understand, practice is a way that leads this, um, well, in the reading the curtain. So for example, my, I mean, in your example, Emily, mm -hmm. uh, for a person, an alcoholic or a, people like that, so they they can get to this new realization about life, but we are not talking about Buddhism or practice, right? So are those the same? I, I mean, I think it, almost in a sense, Buddhism is about life. So it's, while it might not, the experience might not be the formal practice of Buddhism, I think there's a lot of commonality in the experience. And I was just giving extreme examples. I mean, in the course of a day, you could feel very, very down about something and then suddenly find a way to like turn it around. Mm -hmm. uh, and that for me is how I practice Buddhism in my day-to-day. -day. Uh, it, it's kind of like dropping everything you think you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, it's easy to say, but it's really hard for the mind not to think it knows something or should know something, you know. But that's what meditation, I think, does. I think that's where the practice comes in, in a way, because you see everything that's happening in meditation. And then if you start to just not grab onto the things that are happening, eventually it gets very, very still and very, very quiet as this sort of, you know, kind of a, an odd release. But um, I don't, all my meditations aren't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes it can give meditation can give me a space to allow myself the time and the space to to be open to what else could be out there. Anyway.
Did you have thoughts, Stephanie, about it? Um, you know, I think it's so, um, it's hard to say to someone asking that question, this is what it's like for me, because you don't want to um, bias them into thinking this is what it must be, it should be like for me, yeah. you know. Um, I think it is something that is so, uh, you know, you can have these teachings and have these instructions on how to sit and to follow your breath and, you know, to that kind of thing. But I think when you actually sit Zazen um, over a period of time, it becomes deeply, deeply personal. So that's kind of my take on it. Thank you. Okay, where were we? I think I was to read the next paragraph. Shall I go on? You don't know how vast the human world is. Even if you touch it, you don't know. Human consciousness always tries to know. But fortunately, or unfortunately, there's nothing to know. Unfortunately means the more you try to know it conceptually, the more you cannot know it. Fortunately means you can train your six consciousnesses to calm down, to let go of the concepts in your head and experience it. If we were just talking about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Allah Vijayana is the source of your life energy and the place where your strength grows. <coughs> Originally, your life is already there, but to realize this, you have to study it and practice it. In other words, use your discriminating mind to arouse the universal mind. For this, we have to understand manas, and simultaneously we have to be free from manas. Stephanie, I want to say one thing about what Stephanie said a few minutes ago, and that is for me the personal um, like touches the universal, and does it do that for you, Stephanie? Yes, very much so. And I think this next paragraph actually oh. talks about that. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, th I think that is exactly what happens when you, when you sit. And again, I think it's over a period of time. I think someone just beginning, um, even the first year or two, it's, it's difficult to talk about what you're experiencing it because it's just all over the place. But as you settle into it, I think it becomes more and more something that you do touch that curtain, that universe, that eternal um, aspect. I'm thinking of the word melting. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Should I continue? Yes. 
How do you pronounce the card in English? Descartes. Descartes said, thank you. I am thinking, therefore I exist. That is fine, but finally you must be free from this idea and make eternity alive in your life because all sentient beings exist with this I. That is why Zazen practice is important. The practice of Zazen as Shikantaza is to throw away your thoughts and just sit down. You are very calm, your posture is straight, and your eyes are open to see what's going under. Practice letting go of your thoughts again and again until you taste very deeply what ego consciousness is. When your manas consciousness touches Alaya Vijnana, immediately you participate in something vast and eternal. Finally, very naturally, the depth of the self is exactly the same as the depth of the world. And you are present in the vast state of existence. This unified world is the arrival point, the most intimate instant where there is no sense of a separate self discriminated in your brain. That experience is called enlightenment or profound understanding of the self. I am troubled. <laughs> Oops. Okay. Just wanna. Yeah, the profound understanding of the self. With, since we talk about no self, is that why you're troubled? Well, yeah. Um. But, but maybe, Trouty, maybe he's just talking about in that profound understanding of the self is where you see there is no self. Yes, but... It's just an odd way of saying it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a definitive way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you had said uh, a profound understanding of the existence of the self, that would be a little clearer, maybe. Or the non-existent or something. <laughs> or the understanding of the truth. <laughs> 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 then when mana starts to function again the foundation of your life is completely different at that time you turn over a new life and manas becomes a starting point it's like arriving at the terminal station of a train from there you can go any place you are free so manas is the dead end of your life and at the same time it is the origin the starting point for creating a new human life. When your new life arises, it is based not on greed, anger, and self-delusion. It is based on generosity, compassion, and wisdom. Why? Um, I'm just curious why that is. I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just... Which one? The last sentence? Yeah, yeah. Any ideas? Well, 
I mean, I, I don't know if that's certain. I almost kind of wonder if that's the goal, but. The, the aspiration, I mean, Kim, isn't this like the precepts? You know, once you, you learn, you have knowledge of what is helpful and what is not. Mm. Why, why would you do something that is not helpful? Yeah, okay. When you start to see, well, to me, it's when you start to see the effect of your actions, then they start to touch you and you say, oh, no, I don't like, I don't like how that um, felt or I don't know, like how that, you know, <laughs> hurt someone. I mean, that's how I sense with, with Putin right now, that, that somehow he's not sensing the harm that he's causing. But maybe... I, I think when your sense of being a separate entity falls away and you realize that you are one with everything, mm -hmm. that perhaps compassion arises from that because don't you wish yourself all happiness and joy? I mean, it's like wherever you see it, it's, it's you. Somebody's suffering, that's you. Compassion has to arise for that. You know, I, I think they're kind of pointing toward the fact that you're, um, you know, this individual entity that we need to defend and has opinions and judgments and moral moralizes and so on and so forth. Um, it just kind of drops off. I think they, they might be pointing to that. And then you feel one with everything and you love everything. I mean, you love it because it's yourself. You love it as yourself. That's the way I look at it. That 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 seems. Um, I mean, it seems there's something else you can do beyond just extending yourself to everyone. Yeah, but who's the you who's doing that? See, that one isn't isn't. That's just a you know mental construct. So I I, I just trust in the. Um, I don't know, the beingness of being, you know, automatically is loving and compassionate. Um, well, I'll, I'll take, okay, I'll buy that. Okay. Who's reading, me? It's all me. Oh, okay. Even though you don't see this now, don't struggle for it. And don't act quickly based on your selfish self. Build your house on the foundation of nothing to be gained. Zazen is useless, but on the foundation of uselessness, you can practice Zazen as useful. So sit down and go deeply into what you already are. That's all you can do. If you practice on a daily basis, your original energy penetrates unconsciously into your everyday life. And you can use that energy to develop your life your total personality in the big scale with all sentient beings. It is 7.55. I, I think this is probably a good place to stop. That's my opinion. How about others of you? That was yeah. a, big, a big chunk. Yeah, yeah I think so. Because that, um, that last sentence of that last paragraph, the whole paragraph was really great. 
Would you like to reread that, Cody? The last sure. Sentence. The last sentence. Yeah. If so you practice, if you practice on a daily basis, your original energy penetrates unconsciously into your everyday life, and you can use that energy to develop your life, your total personality, in the big scale with all sentient beings. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I think so too. So we can, uh, uh, we can uh, meditate or write for, how long would you like to do that? 10 minutes? Yeah, 10 minutes and then we'll meet back. Well, I wrote something. So I'm not me, but one with many. And I'm not one with many, but one with all. Nothing is, is excluded. Maybe nothing is included as there are no things. And then there's a drawing. <laughs> so it says one with all, all with one. It looks like a maze to me around <laughs> the person's head. It's kind of the way I feel. But it's so hard to, to imagine the dissolving of the self and what that might look like. And, and I know that I don't want it to become a bigger self because that seems to have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, that would just be a resurrection of the small self disguising itself as a bigger self. <laughs> So where your whole world is yourself and then you have a family and then your whole world is your family. <coughs> so I asked my father, I said, dad, if you had to choose between saving your family or saving a million people on the other side of the earth, what would you do? And what do you think he said? What? What would you say, Emily? I'd probably save a million people. He instantly said his family. Yeah, that's, you know, the solution of um, kind of a, it's not, it's not bad. It's actually the way everybody normally feels, but we uh, have an illusion of special people, special. Mm -hmm. You know, and they are, they do feel special, you know, but is it really true that I'm special and they're special? In fact, a, a, a relative of ours is a, was a famous economist and, and he's, he once said to my mom, the difference between you and me is I care about the world and you care about your family. Mm. You know, is one better than the other? No, I don't think so. I'll well, tell you I, yeah, go on, Gail. I was just going to say, I, um, I can tell you one thing, and that's when I had an experience that made me feel like I was going to lose my identity. The first thing that stopped it was the thought that I would... Um, be abandoning my kids 
And so this, um, this moment of energetic opening became halted <laughs> right then and there, which is, um, I understand, quite common, quite common. Um, you know, my, my little self who's identified as a mother couldn't imagine what I would be if I weren't that, you know, uh, it just couldn't imagine it. That's why it seems kind of scary on some level. Yeah, I felt that when I when I retired from teaching, like, well, that's what I was. So what, you know, what's left? Everything. <laughs> yeah. And the, all the teachers say there's really nothing to be afraid of. It's just our egos. Um, inability to even imagine what it would be like if it were not running the show. Just, it, it has no context for it. Kim, you made me think of something when, um, when, you, when you just said that about retiring. Because it's like, you know, typically, I guess when people retire, they plan to travel and you know, do things like that. And I was thinking like in the military, we travel pretty much all over the world, but we're bound, you know, we have, we have, uh, we're on official travel. We, we, we can't just, you know, like say if we go to Japan, we can't just go to the beach, uh, you know, until we check in and then process and do all these good things. And, and, and but once you retire, you can go see all those things on your own, you know? You're not, you're not, you're not bound by anything. You're just, you could just, you're, you're free to go. Did you have trouble, Cody, when you left the military? Um, I mean, you probably associated yourself with a person in the military, right? And then you leave the military. Was there kind of an emptiness there? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, not, not for me. No, it's. I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, one of them things when you're at the tail end of something, I guess, like you're about to retire and the day you sign out, it's just like, oh, man, you know, I'm <laughs> I, I'm free. Once you take we call it the monkey suit, the uh, the uniform. Once you take that monkey suit off for one last time, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a relief almost mm -hmm. because you don't have to put it on and go stand in formation and, you know, do all these other things. But at the same time, sometimes you miss it, you know? Yeah. yeah. My husband's trying to feel into retirement. I mean, she's only a few months uh, under his belt. And he doesn't know what's going on. Sometimes he sleeps till 10 or 11 in the morning. And sometimes he doesn't go to bed till two. And sometimes he gets up at six and he's just all <laughs> over the map. He just doesn't know. What... <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's a transition. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. You just have to find a new, find a new routine, you know, just go go out in the garden and take a walk in the morning. And then, I mean, it could be anything, you know? Yeah, it's it's finding a, I think you're right, some sort of structure. We 
We seem to thrive on that, don't we? Mm -hmm. A little bit. I often like to go uh, walking in, uh, like go on a hike or something because I like to, sometimes I can immediately settle into where I'm walking and feel like I'm a part of it. Like I'm a seamless, just part of the landscape. And it's very comforting because it there's no like, uh, right or wrong, it just is. It just happens. Bugs and fly by, and plants grow, and things are decaying. And I'm just a part of it. It's it's very comforting sometimes. But there, this past weekend, I was not at all in that mind space. I was not able to like unite with what I was walking in. And it's only like a couple of days later that I was able to really think about all the all the little miracles that I saw when I was like on that walk. It's interesting that sometimes it just takes a while for things to sink in. And, and you're kind of describing Japanese landscape painting where there's a there's a people in it, but they're just like a little part of the whole scene. Right. You know, rather than the center of focus. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes the mind takes over, is what I'm hearing you say, and you kind of lose direct consciousness of, you know, all the sights and sounds around you. And one thing I love about nature, I think probably most of us, if you think about it, is if the trees and the flowers are, you know, are thinking and conceptualizing and chatting and judging and criticizing. I'm not aware of it. It does not seem like a lot of that's happening. <laughs> you know, you kind of pick up, they're just being there. It's just, you know, but I don't know. I really don't know. Secret life of trees, right? Yeah. So, but, yeah, it's uh, kind of, that's kind of funny. Like you looking at the tree, like what a beautiful tree and the tree looking at you like, who is this fool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> tree is probably saying thank you i didn't know i was so lovely <laughs> you know, well, i thought that maybe the tree's gonna say make it rain please yeah. <laughs> say it again please make it rain oh make it rain <laughs> Yeah, we need a lot of that right now. <laughs> you know, thinking of structure, I, I just occurred to me that in the past, say, 10 years or so, um, the times that I've enjoyed, I felt the most at home has been on these long, uh, long retreats, which, by the way, are very structured. You know, you, you show up for Zazen. I mean, I'm talking about um, like seven-day retreats away from home, those kinds of things. And, you know, you get up at a certain time and you enter, you know, the Zendo and you meditate and then there's a break and then you eat and then you come back. And I don't know, for some reason, um, I just love that because it frees me from thinking about all the billions of other things that I could, should be doing instead. Do you know? Yeah. You know, there's, like, no, there's no choice. You just are, right? Yes, there's yeah. no choice. There's only the choice to just be, 
just to be there. That's it. Ooh, Kim, pretty. There's a little tiny person there. Yes, yeah. nice kimono and a red parasol. Oh, here's someone on the bridge down here. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's a nicer one. I like that. Oh, here's someone in the bottom right corner. Mm -hmm. I think it's someone. Yeah. There's like several someone people in the middle. At the house. Oh, right, yeah. right, yeah. by the house, yeah. I think there might be a signature. Oh, signature. and this is nice. Look at this guy yeah. on the boat. Wow. <laughs> Don't you love? Don't you just love that they're so tiny? <laughs> yeah. It's like they really blend into the whole painting. They're, you know, <laughs> all of it. There's a nature photographer that uh, took a picture of the vast expanse of- um, Here's a guy and a horse. Go on, Emily, I'm sorry. It's, yeah, uh, it's uh, an expanse of trees in Vancouver. Um, and there was a river and there were these two tiny, tiny little bears fishing in the river. <laughs> but the sort of the scale of it brought me immediately to like the glory of the world we live in. Yeah, that's the feeling. Mm -hmm. I always try and like keep a hold of that as much as I can. Oh, it's easy. I think that could be pretty uh I, I think that could keep your ego in check too because you know how we as humans always think we're like bigger than everything top of the food chain but then there's yeah. this great big old world out there that <clears throat> it's always something bigger than you that can just especially mother nature you know she she's undefeated yeah Well, should we call it an evening? Anyone else want to contribute anything? Something? Okay. Okay, Emily, you're our fearless leader. Okay. Well, uh, have a good week. Oh. <laughs> All right. Hope to see some of you this next week. Um, I look forward to it. Me too. Bye -bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.